Welcome to the Fit for Tomorrow podcast. I'm Dr. Nick Sanders, physical therapist, and together I hope we can explore the best ways to stay fit, healthy, and active as busy adults. We all have a lot on our plate. So what is the most efficient way to exercise, eat, sleep, and train in order to continue to do the activities we love well into our future? I hope you enjoy this week's episode. All right, so today I'm with uh, Carl Jacobson. Carl is the strength coach extraordinaire. Um, I feel like uh, you wear many hats, Carl. You work with a lot of pro athletes, high-level college uh, guys, um, high school, uh, specializing mm-hmm. in a lot of basketball-type stuff. And then mm-hmm. you also do uh, quite a bit of kind of regular personal training, if you will. So um, I, I really want to dive in today on. I know you're super detailed with your programming and, yeah. and how you how you assess and treat an athlete. So I wanted to dive into what it looks like when you're working with a high level athlete and yeah. you know what what changes as as you work towards somebody with different goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um pretty much I would say there's a, there's a handful of differences but the, the biggest thing is the training philosophy. It's got to stay consistent. Um I try to keep that fairly consistent no matter who I'm training. So I have like a strong foundation in terms of what I'm doing and what I'm looking for. So um I can run you down that training philosophy real quick and I can kind of show, you know, or tell you at least the the differences uh when they come into hand. So um the first one we have is do no harm, which is protect and preparing the uh the personal athlete. So we uh, had like a needs analysis. We're determining what their abilities are, um, what their readiness is, any types of recovery components so we don't overtrain, you know, kind of like the warm up and the movement prep. So that's kind of our, our first philosophy um, that, we, that we have. Um, when you say, stay kind of just, no. I was just going to dive into that a little bit. When you say needs analysis, how are you assessing? Because I think that's super important, right? If we can, yeah. if we can keep our people from getting hurt, their training is going to, they're going to have a higher ceiling, right? Cause you're not going to have that setback. How, how are you assessing yeah. that? Like, what do you guys look, what are you looking at to when you're trying to, you know, look at that capacity or, or what factors are you evaluating? For sure. Yeah. So um, for the needs analysis, when it comes to um, athletes, obviously the sport, you know, what are they, you know, what position they play? Are they big enough? What their size is um, where their body fat's at. Um, I would say those are the big ones there, different sports, different positions. You're looking at different conditioning, energy systems, what are those requirements? Um, you know, if they're, you know, more first step speed, it really depends. You have to really watch, you know, video for some of the athletes, but for your normal person, same thing, you know, for both of them, we'll go FMS, we'll do like a movement screen. So we'll kind of just see where, where their deficiencies are. Um, that's one you know, and just like overhead squat, we do very, you know, basic, basic um, assessments to kind of figure out where they're at. Functional capacity, we're doing different type of jumps. Obviously, we're doing landing tests to kind of see how they land. But, um, you know, how they land fresh when we, you know, initially test them is different, you know, when they're landing in fatigue. So there's different jump tests we do as well, um, you know, when they're fatigued to kind of see how that movement changes in time. So I would say that that's our big, our big one there with that. And then from there, we kind of go into uh, my second philosophy is like uh, move well. So that's, you know, same thing, the movement screening, determining what the baseline is, mobility, stability, functional capacity, seeing where they're injury prone, 
Um, you know, then we'll throw in our movement efficiency exercises or, you know, people call them correctives. Um, and then our kind of movement skill development, which is all your primal and, and fundamental kind of movement patterns. So those are kind of the first two. Um, we run them through, you know, somewhat similar tests from a movement standpoint. Where it gets different is our strength test. So that goes to our third, um, third philosophy, which is move strong. So that's our standards. We have weight, size, uh, strength. You know, we're going to be teaching them, you know, squat, hinge, push, pull, uh, brace, carry. Um, you know, we just want to make it individual for each athlete, you know, each program, you know, has to be custom, you know, tailored to what they need. From For your average person, we use just general fitness standards, strength standards. Um, someone that hasn't trained a lot, you know, will go more movement or uh, sorry, uh, muscle endurance test, right? Because we're not going to max strength test them if they you know, don't know the lift. So you know, I would say that's, that's kind of the, the, just the first three. Where it gets different um, is our fourth philosophy, which is move fast. Um, that's our speed agi- agility and uh, conditioning. So for most of my gen pop clients, obviously we're not working on speed and agility. That would be a waste of time for us. Um, but we do do a conditioning component for them as well. And the last one is Thrive, which is our kind of our mental toughness, character development, you know, we get into nutrition and then, you know, just we do some things so they have fun during training so they can actually enjoy it as well. It can't just be all super serious, super analytical. We got to mix things up. So, you know, they're having a good time as well. So I'd say the training philosophy is going to stay the same, except for the speed and agility is kind of, you know, the the big, the big difference. Um, And then, you know, you don't have to, to push the gen pop is fast usually the athletes you have some sort of deadline whether it's the off season or for pre-draft you're looking at like six to eight weeks right so so the training is not as as strenuous and you know but i would say the core fundamentals you know especially with our squat hinge push pull all that stuff is going to stay you know very similar uh you know from the gen pop to the athlete so Right. Moving well is moving well uh, to some degree, I, I assume. And then um, I love what you said about looking at their film, right? Because, you know, if you're mm-hmm. taking a sport like basketball, obviously there's some very specific things that, that yeah. you have to analyze and, and make sure they do well. Mm-hmm. So um, I'd love to tease that out a little bit. Like, yeah. what would, let's say day one, you get a, you get a college guy, a gal, um, high-level basketball player yeah. um, or a pro person. What's day one look like? Like, what are you, what are you taking them? Like you so said, you mentioned the FMS, which is like a, uh, for people that don't aren't familiar, it's like a movement screen. Um, mm-hmm. um, there's, there's several different movement screens out there. The FMS is certainly a popular one, but yeah. what, what else does, what else does day one look like for, for that athlete? Yeah. Yeah. Day one, typically we'll have them come in. We'll get them used to the facility. Um, in the past, just get them accustomed with the program, kind of go over kind of what the commitment is, what the program overview is going to look like how it intertwines with their skill. So at the end of the day, I'm just one component of the, of the bigger picture. So I have to show them um, not only who we are, what we do, but how that fits in um, and kind of what's prioritized. Obviously the skill is the number one priority, um, how all the communication works between me, if it's a higher level athlete, whether it's me and their parent, or if it's a pro athlete, me and their agent. Um, so we kind of go through all that. Um, and then we get into a little bit of the nutrition as well, a little bit of guidance. And then from there, we get into the training component. Um, the training component, you know, we're going to start off with determining what their abilities are, what the, you know, what the needs analysis is. And then, you know, I get that from feedback from them 
I get the feedback from, in the case, either the parent or the agent at that time. Um, and then I also do my own tests and I get my feedback. And then the program is going to be, you know, kind of where all those three intersect. Um, because we have to give the agent what they want or the parent what they want. We have to make sure that the athlete has some say or some input because we want to have them have a little bit of autonomy, but then the majority of it's driven based off, off the testing. Um, so that's, that's a little bit, you know, example of how we go coming into that session. Now, once we get into the session itself, you know, we're going to start off with our biometric tests. So weight, body fat, you know, we use the in-body. Um, so we're getting those metrics, take those metrics, compare those to standards, whether it's, um, you know, high school or pro athlete, kind of show them, hey, this is where you're at. This is where we need to go. We'll establish a few goals. From there, we'll go into our movement efficiency and movement testing. So um, FMS is probably the big one I've done. Uh, Y balance tests, we can do that as well. We'll get into our, our different type of jump testing first um, from the performance standpoint. So we'll do um, a landing tests to make sure they have the proper mechanics, any type of intervention tests like that. From there, we'll go into our you know vertical jump, three step jump for the for the basketball athletes, and then after that, we'll get into some strength testing as well. Um, typically, can knock that all out in one to two sessions, depending on how much time we have. Um, I try not to overload them too much with testing, but I do want to get that out of the way because they're looking to get the training in as soon as possible. Right. For most guys, testing is fairly boring, so that's another challenge as a trainer: how to keep it upbeat. Um, show them why that data matters. Understanding the person too. Some people want to know all the data. Um, they want to see what that is, uh, all the analytics are. They want to see, um, you know, there may be some guys are very data driven or they want to see that and other guys don't care. They just want to see where they're at and then they want to get to the training. So you, you got to kind of find out how to present it um, differently to different people as well. So that's something you're, you just, it's intuitive. You have to have conversation with these guys, make small talk. And then from there, you know, figure out who they are and, and what their prerogatives are and then, you know, go from there. So. Yeah. I love that. I mean, figuring out how to connect with an athlete or, or a client or, or whatever, like that's probably more important than any knowledge or training that you have, especially you know, Correct, yeah. initially, like mm -hmm. if you can't connect with that person, you're never going to be able to coach or teach them anything because you haven't built that, sure. that connection. So. Yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. Um, is there anything like, um, you know, I don't work with as many pro guys as you would. Are there any tendencies yeah. or things that you see a lot of? Like, you know, like if I take the average person that works an eight hour sitting job, like there's things I see a lot. Um, is yeah. there any, like, you know, for the younger athletes or, or, you know, parents that are raising young athletes, are there things that you're like, man, I wish more people were doing this so I wouldn't have X, Y, Z mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple different things. Um, uh, nutrition standpoint is one thing that I see very common, but also the, the training standpoint. Um, basketball players aren't like football players. So like a lot of young, you know, football athletes, they want to get in the weight room. You know, that's they see the value in it. They can't just go play like pick up football in the offseason. Basketball is 100 percent year round. So there's they go from in season to a couple weeks off to AAU or, and then they go back to fall ball. And then it's just, it's literally nonstop. So prioritizing training is one. You see a lot of kids that are just underdeveloped. Um, so they might be able to do all these crazy jumps and all these different types of specialty stuff. Um, but they, they lack in the basics of like physical activity. So just their, their fundamental movement, right? They might not know how to squat, right? They can go up and do a reverse dunk or throw one off the backboard and do all these really high end movements. 
um, but they don't know how to skip right during the warm-up. So I would say making sure you're nailing all the fundamentals, um, making sure you're getting someone that's professional in there that knows what they're doing, that knows how to, you know, create a program that, um, you know, can address all the basics, you know, intermediate stuff before they get into the advanced stuff. I feel like they see a lot of the advanced things that, you know, like LeBron and some of these other uh uh, athletes are posting online. They're trying to emulate some of these things, and you got to make sure you have a good foundation. Otherwise, you're going to run into issues down the line. Especially these kids that are logging. You know, some of these kids are logging over 100 games a year. I mean, NBA your your season's 82 games, so you have kids that are underdeveloped, doing a high workload. Um, they're typically doing way too much jumping and not enough strength and conditioning, You're, you know, just the strength portion of it. So you run into a lot of muscle imbalances, especially posterior chain stuff. Very, a lot of guys are quad dominant. Um, and, uh, you know, as a, as a strength coach, you have to come in and correct a lot of that. So um, yeah. from the nutrition side, it's pretty much across the board. You're looking at um, just poor nutrition habits, you know, from any high school kid. I mean, most of us didn't eat perfectly well in high school but at the same point if you have a kid that comes in at a four o'clock session the only thing he had all day was a piece of pizza so you know we gotta we gotta go through basic habits as well but i would say those are those are the two components i try to nail at least the training side and just healthy eating habits yeah i I, you know you hear about baseball the time like we're tracking pitch counts and and how many how many you know how many throws this this person has um you don't hear about that so much with basketball but I, I mean, I wouldn't consider myself a, a good basketball player, but like in college, just wrecked, like you'd play for mm-hmm. five hours a day and, and I wasn't any mm-hmm. good. So you can imagine somebody yeah. that's at the level these guys are, they're, they're probably playing nonstop. They're playing nonstop. Yeah. And, I mean, you run into that and there's been a lot of debate about that, about like, you know, like doing different tech for jump count for basketball, but I just yeah. don't see it coming down to the don't come in down to the, the, the youth levels and stuff. And the problem is by the time they have that technology in college and NBA, they've already been playing for 18, you know, 10 plus years. The so training history you know, the mileage yeah. Are, yeah, you've already put the mileage on the car at that point. So there's no kind of turning it back. There's more efficient ways to train and ways to mitigate, you know, injury and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, you've put the majority of the mileage on um, that athlete ahead of time. So. You know, parents yeah. just, you know, be weary of, you know, burning their, burning their kids out. So, yeah, I think that over specialization, whether you're talking elite, you know, high level athletes or you're talking general population, I think the stressors are different, but monitoring yeah. that stress is, is huge. And I think that's mm-hmm. uh, in the short history of this podcast, that is a, uh, that is a consistent trend. Like everybody I've talked mm-hmm. to so far is, is how are we, how are we going to monitor that workload? Um, yeah. You also said something interesting you know, these kids are doing 360 dunks, but they can't do a bodyweight squat or, or a lunge. And, um, I would, I would say that I do that a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. from like, I have, I've met multiple elite athletes that, you know, when you watch them play their sport, you're like, this person's, you know, they just, they look magical on the court. Right. But then you like, Hey, do a squat for me. And you're like, really? Like, you know, it's not what you expected. (laughs) Why? I guess I have two questions for you. Why do you think that is one? Like why, why these people that move unbelievably well, um, why do you think that some of the basic patterns aren't as good? And then also does it like, how would you explain if it does it matter first of all? And then how do you explain that to the athlete? If, if you're trying like, mm-hmm. Hey, we need you to be able to do this. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think I depending on the sport, like I was kind of saying before, certain sports uh, emphasize, and even go school to school, emphasize the, the weight training and the physical preparation side of it more than others. Like football players, most of the football players I have, and they at least understand the importance of it. They understand, hey, if I'm not strong enough, I'm going to get blown over, you know, in the game, or I'm not going to be able to do that. With basketball um, athletes, it's a little bit more difficult because they can get away with being skinnier. You see athletes like Kevin Durant, who's like real thin, but still performing at a super high level. So um, creating that buy-in for basketball players can get a little tricky. Um, biggest thing with them is you got to find out what makes them tick. Like a lot of guys, they'll want to jump higher, or have a first, uh, quicker first step. Um, and if I can say, hey, if we do X, Y, and Z in the weight room from a strength standpoint, a plyometric standpoint, all these standpoints, um, if we're able to do that, we're going to get to those. So biggest thing with them is I got to figure out what they're looking for. I give them what they need, but also have to constantly say, hey, this is how this translates. This is what this, this translates to. Um, that's, that's the biggest thing in terms of creating the buy-in. But to step back from that, I just really think that the weight room is not really prioritized. A lot of the guys from the schools that I've come to, especially if they're inner city schools, um, they don't have the type of weight room. Um, facilities that a lot of other schools have so um a lot of it comes down to resources do you have the weight room to lift in does your school have that do you have access to a gym um do you have a trainer to actually show you the right things right so when i was in high school we had a physical therapist that would come in similar to kind of what you do and then after cool. you know he owned his own facility after school he would come in and then do the strength conditioning portion so you know this guy was like a stickler for form and gave us all the breakdowns and stuff like that and uh, really taught us well, but not every school has that. You know what I mean? That was like, that was like a blessing. So um, I hear that. And it comes down to resources and there's a lot of trainers out there that are just more concerned with their views and flashy things and aren't really teaching the fundamentals because it's not sexy. It's not going to get you clicks or, you know, convert, converting sales online or what, you know, whatever they're trying to sell. So um got to get in front of a good professional that's going to help the, that kid or athlete you know, yeah. succeed. I mean, I think there's fairly good evidence now that, that strength helps prevent injuries, right? Um, yeah. And so even if you get past the performance side of jump higher, and, and that's, of course, what, what the athlete wants yeah. to hear. But from an injury prevention standpoint, being strong is, is helpful. And um, there's, sure. obvious, there's a balance there between, you know, building strength and, and you know, specializing mm -hmm. in a skill, right? You got to spend so many hours. Yeah. You only have so many hours in a day. How much of that's shooting a basketball and, and running drills versus versus your strength mm -hmm. work. But um, yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you. We got to figure out how to, how to maximize both and keep people healthy. And mm -hmm. uh, that's pretty yeah. cool. Mm -hmm. um, so then if we switch gears and we say, okay, gen pop person that's working at nine to five, mm -hmm. what, what's different in your evaluation um, or is it? And um, what are the key things you're thinking about from a personal training standpoint there? Yeah. So from a personal training standpoint, typically the, the people that come in, they, a lot of times it's an aesthetic thing. So it's not really performance based, although we do want them to perform well. We do want, again, our second thing is, is move well. So we, no matter who comes through, we want them to move well, but that might not be their main priority. So that might be how we get there, but that's not their main priority. So I would say the biggest difference um, one is when, with our biometric tests. So we come in, obviously people want to look better, you know, aesthetic is what they're coming in for. Um, or they want to feel better too, right? So maybe we need to lose some weight. So especially in the weight loss case, um, we're going to do an in-body test. So the in-body tests, I kind of have three components to it. I know everyone 
um, tracks the data with with that. But I think can you explain? Can you explain yeah. what the in-body is in case people are? Yeah, so in-body, yeah, for 100%. Yeah, so in-body, it's a scale. It does um, weight, body fat, and then uh, lean body mass or how much muscle you have. Um, so those are the three components. So obviously, when we're looking at aesthetics, it's not just about losing weight because we want to make sure we're at least keeping the muscle and we're losing the body fat, like we're losing the right weight. And um, the in-body is going to give us that information opposed to a regular scale where let's say you lose two pounds of fat and you gain two pounds of muscle and you look better, but then you step on the scale and it says zero pounds because you lost two, gained two, it's a net of zero. Um, then people get discouraged like they're not doing the right thing when they actually are. So in-body gives us a little bit more data to help direct them. Also, um, it takes that negative connotation around weight. I think, you know, especially with a lot of females, weight is a big issue. And if I can, my biggest thing is rewiring uh, people's thought process, less about the weight, more about the body fat and the muscles. So if we're hitting the weights and you're hitting the protein consistently, the muscle is going to go up. You know, if we're limiting the carbs and making sure the diet or, you know, the nutrition is in line, that body fat's going to go down. The weight now becomes irrelevant. They're focusing on different numbers. It's a way healthier number, um, you know, mentally too. Have, to have you at. seen... I mean, how's that gone for you? I mean, yeah, I feel like so, that number is still mm-hmm. like people think about that number a lot. and People um, stick about that number. So what happens is it comes in the evaluation process. So the first thing that I do is when we, we go and we get them in the in-body, we, we get the numbers, we get the data, we get the printout, and then I change the focus. Now we go over the numbers and we go over the numbers. I tell them what their weight is and then I move on right away. So the first thing we go body fat, we go health. So what is a healthy range? Are you within a healthy range? Are you healthy? It's kind of like three things. Are you healthy? Are you overweight? Are you obese? So that doesn't have to do anything with the weight. It has to do with the body fat in terms of the chart that I present them. So we're already kind of priming them to say, oh, we're looking into the body fat. From there, we go into the aesthetic part. So we have to obviously check the health box off first because I don't care what you look like. If you're not healthy, we need to get you healthy first. From there, we go to the aesthetic as long as everything checks out. Um, we go to aesthetics. So basically, I have a couple infographs printed out, and they give body fat ranges. Because at the end of the day, we got to determine for these people. They might have goals. They want to get this amount lean, but they're not able to put in that amount of work. So does the amount of work and the amount of time and effort and resources that you're willing to commit match your goal? Um, so I have different infographs, and we kind of lay them all out, and then we kind of say, hey, are you willing to you know struggle in social situations that might involve food or drink? Like when you go out, are you going to be able to you know, limit these things, right? Are you going to, you know, especially during like the holidays and stuff like that, or are you just going to let it go? So we, um, and also time requirement, you know, if you're going to be spending more time meal prepping, you're going to be spending more time training, um, you know, is that going to cut into maybe some of your hobbies or maybe some time with your significant other, right? So there's real life implications behind this. So now we went from, instead of weight, we go from to body fat. Now we're going into social factors, right? So the emphasis is more there than the actual weight. Um, and then from there, we get into our adjustments. And that's kind of like when they do their second and third test, obviously, we'll adjust based off of variables. But um, that's a whole different conversation. But I would say those are kind of the big, the big two, is it the health and the aesthetic and focusing on the body fat. Yeah, I mean, I think if somebody's coming in and, and they're trying to make those changes, there's, a, there's multiple challenges, right? There's, there's movement yeah. challenges. Um, I think that, it, for lack of a better, let's just say discipline kind of challenge of how do you yeah. make those lifestyle adjustments? And because it is going to be mm-hmm. different in, in social settings and uh, maybe yeah. the holidays are going to look a little different. What, I mean, 
you present that to somebody, they're going to be reluctant, right? Um, sure. What What are your what tactics do you present, or what What do you you know What do you have for them when they go? They look at you like, no, I don't want to do any of that. You know, do any of that? Yeah. So obviously, some of it's you know we have to at least start somewhere. So um, I like to break it down into smaller goals. So at the end of the day, a lot of this comes down to behavior change. So if it's a lot of times they'll skip breakfast. So hey, if we have to eat breakfast, you're going to have to the behavior change is getting up 15 minutes earlier and coming up with solutions for a quick and easy grab and go breakfast like that would be an example of that so we have to do like one thing at a time so i i kind of have a checklist i'll make a here like the five or six things but i'll only present the first one hey this week we're going to focus on this or this month we're going to focus on this once we do that enough to become a habit we get to the next one and typically over time it might take them a while to fix one and then it might take them a while to fix another one and then you kind of see like the learning curve their ability to adapt and change their lifestyle will start to pick up and we can focus on two things or, or you know, really go deeper on, on one. So um, I would say that's the biggest thing we have to find out. I think it comes down to like the psychology part. We have to find out how these people tick. Like, why is that goal important to you? Right. Is it, you know, OK, everyone wants to lose weight because you want to look better. But like, why is it because you feel uncomfortable how you are? We really have to grip onto that emotional part. Um, Mm-hmm. Of, of what they are and figure out what they take, what motivates them, what buttons I can push and what buttons I have to stay away from when I can turn the heat up on them in terms of getting things done and when we have to scale back. So again, some of that's intuitive, but other, other stuff, we just have to go. I, I kind of almost go like a checklist form um, in terms of the habits that they need to change. You know, when people fall off, but then you have to, you have to make it realistic where they can hop back on the bike fairly quickly it does you can't overcomplicate it where they feel like if they fall off and they'll never be able to get back on track yeah if you simple simple usually works uh, i like i mean i like that kind of like digestible step piece right because anybody that's been an exerciser at some point in their life knows that well, kind of once you start to get some momentum right it almost it almost yeah. is it's harder not to work out um yeah. but it, then snowballs, when, yeah. it does snowball in a positive direction but, uh, you know, an injury or a setback or whatever, and it's easy to go, go the other way too, mm-hmm. um, which is cool. I also like what you said about that um, kind of that what makes it tick or whatever. And in my world, people usually come to see me for pain, right? And, and we talk about, yeah. okay, yeah, we want to get out of pain. Everybody wants to get out of pain. But what does that mean to yeah. you, right? What's that next level deep uh, problem of mm-hmm. because I'm in pain, I can't do, you know, I can't go see my grandkids and because I can't go yeah. see my grandkids now I'm not getting that social interaction. And, and there's multiple mm-hmm. layers to that, that why, um, in, in, in a pain world, we, we talk about that all the time. And, um, I guess yeah. I, I, you know, it's interesting to hear you talk about that from a aesthetic standpoint, right? Cause it's, you know, mm-hmm. on the surface you go, ah, that's just some superficial thing anyway. But mm-hmm. for some people, you know, in, in all of us, I think there, there is layers to that, uh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, and it's just about peeling back the young and just, you know, over time as you develop the relationship with these people, um, you figure out, you know, how they are, why they act, what their their habits are and stuff like that. You can start peeling back the young and as you gain trust, as you gain buy-in. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's a big thing for me because then, you know, when something I feel like they're, they're kind of drifting or maybe they're going too hard or it could be any different reason why they're, they're getting off track. Um, I'm able to push the right buttons to realign them. Um, and that, again, that comes on the psychology part. And I think like a lot of uh, trainers um, or coaches kind of 
they they know what's there, but they don't take time to develop that, right? They might take time to develop the the technical knowledge. They might take time to develop the business knowledge, right? But they might not take time to, to actually develop themselves as a communicator, um, develop them from a psychology standpoint. And I feel like that's like a, a huge gap in, you know, you don't even see that many products or that many books about that written. Um, yeah. So, Have you seen... Um... I'm going to blank on the name of the book, Brett Bartholomew's book. Um, yeah, I have his book. I just signed up for his course. So yeah, it's um, right. It's all about, it's all about the different yeah, client archetypes. Coaching, right? There it yeah. is. There it is. Yeah. Conscious coaching. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, um, no, he's, he has some great content. I've, I went in here to hear, um, listen to him talk in DC for like six hours. I've heard him talk at different presentations, huge fan of his work, mm-hmm. just bought his courses. So Oh, that's, awesome. um, that's something I've, yeah, that's something I've always been um, interested in. I always knew about, but um, I did, I felt like there was never a formal resource. So when I came across his stuff, I just instantly had to get my hands on it. So yeah, he, he spoke at one of the, I was in a business group and he spoke at one of the uh, meetings. Um, he's, mm-hmm. a, he's a fantastic speaker. Um, I oh, took as many sure. notes. I took as many notes on his presentation, like things he yeah. did as a presenter. Um, as I did the, the, uh, the conscious coaching oh, yeah. kind of stuff, but mm-hmm. the, the archetypes in there and kind of talking about different athletes and how they, uh, how different people kind of attack situations differently. It's, yeah. it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's a really good, it's a really good read. Um, yeah, it's super interesting. Yeah. I passed out a, I passed out a few over the years. That's, that's definitely a good book. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> yeah, that's good. Um, we talked about it with the pro athletes from a gen pop standpoint. What are the things you see? Like. What is the consistent, like, man, if we could get ahead of this? Yeah, I would say the, the biggest thing for, oh, there's a couple of things with Gen Pop. Um, a lot of times you have, let's see, a lot of times females, especially, you can tell they do a lot of cardio, they don't do enough strength training. Or you see like a lot of times people are just grabbing uh, workouts from the internet. They're not actually doing a structured training plan. So they're doing the hit or whoever that whatever influencer they follow. Um, and you see a lot of people um, doing a lot of hard work, but not getting the results they want. Then they get discouraged, they get overwhelmed, or they feel hopeless, you know, those type, those different types of emotions. Um, I would say that's a, you know, one of the probably the most common thing I see is there's no structure or rhyme or reason of what they're doing. It's just what their friend recommended or what they saw online or what they felt like doing that day. And there's no structure. There's no like holistic approach, you know, of looking at the nutrition and the, and the training, you know, intertwined. And I feel like that's kind of, that's really what you need to get the results quick, um, but also sustainable as well. So see a lot of people crushing these fad diets, at least on the nutrition side, um, supplements, detox diets, uh, you know, all this stuff that they're looking for a quick fix. And if they, they happen to work it, you know, most of them don't work, but if they do happen to work, it's only temporary. And then next thing you know, they're starting at square one again, and they don't know where to go. So yeah. um, I would say that's the biggest thing is a lack of continuity across the board from the training and nutrition side. Yeah. The challenges are cool, right? Cause they get you going, they get you motivated, but yeah. Uh, most of them don't incorporate any kind of what's next, you know, like, all right, I'm gonna do this for 30 days. Now what, you know, now what? yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and have you built those that have you changed your lifestyle or, or trying to create that discipline yeah. and, and 
Um, I know personally, that's probably my biggest struggle, right? It's real easy to kind of get motivated for a second, but like mm-hmm. fitting it into, yeah, fitting it into the, you know, the work and, and other demands that you have is, mm-hmm. is, is the, the challenge, uh, especially as life gets busier and busier. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. You always tell people and it's kind of a cliche line, but you always say it's a lifestyle change and that kind of, you know, people hear it, but you know, how do you implement that? And I think that's the challenge for people. So, you know, as, as a coach, you can't just be like a personal trainer. You have to actually coach them through life as well. Like, Hey, we're going to need you to do X, Y, Z, um, you know, at home, but sometimes people's plate is already full. So I have to help them come up with strategies in order to take things off their plate first, things that are holding them back and you know, obviously I'm only a, a trainer and a coach, so I can't overstep my boundaries there, but, you know, at least plant the seeds like, Hey, if you're able to do this, this, and this, um, and take, it would allow you to take this off your plate, which would allow you to more time to meal prep or would it would allow you to, um, exercise an extra day or, or whatever it might be. So there's a whole lifestyle component and you got to kind of figure out how people operate outside of the gym, um, on a personal level, you know, where they spend their time and resources and stuff like that. So. Yeah. Um, you know, everyone's I, different. Some people like to go out, eat out a lot, right? So we have to come up with strategies how to eat out healthy, right? Because I'm not going to tell them not to eat out. They're going to tell me to go, you know, kick it. So as um, should. you got to kind of meet people where they're at, you know, in terms of that. So. Yeah. I, I mean, you've, since I've known you, you've, uh, you've kind of changed your workout yeah. stuff and, you know, dropped some pounds and put on, like gotten stronger and all that kind of stuff. What do you think? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you work as hard as anybody I know. You've got, I don't know how many different little business pathways happening and doing all kinds of social yeah. content and get your YouTube page that's mm-hmm. freaking got more followers than I would have ever imagined. Um, mm-hmm. How do you fit it in? You know, what's your strategy? Yeah, so they, yeah, I've always been. I've always, I, so I get easily distracted, which is a weird place to start, but I'm kind of reverse engineer. So growing up, I've always gotten easily distracted. So what happened, um, how I overcompensated for that or compensated with that um, was being like just super organized. So I spent a lot of time on um, productivity. I spent a lot of time on like time management, stuff like that. That way I can get real, almost like military with my time. Um making sure you have a clear vision, making sure you have priorities under that vision and then organizing the business and the infrastructure in a way where there's no thought involved, uh, thought process involved in terms of what I should do right now. It's, Hey, this hour I'm working on these type of projects, whatever projects next in line drops down. And then we have the tasks underneath that project. So being able to, um, build out that infrastructure, putting all of your ideas in there and then making sure that they happen in like sequential order. Um, that's, that's the biggest thing in terms of being able to fit it all in business-wise. Um, I would say one of my biggest faults is putting too much on my plate because I was like, oh, I can do this, this, and this. And you know, I don't leave maybe enough margin in there. Like That needs to be planned for as well um, in case there's delays or you know, random things coming up. Um, so I would say spend some time um, with time management, come up with some type of system, some type of productivity system. Um, and then and on top of that, if you want to, if you don't want to use like paper and pencil, um, there's a lot of nice softwares out there. I think I use Trello is one of the, is one of the softwares, but there's tons of uh, productivity softwares out there that, you know, I only, I use it to organize my business, but I also use it to organize like the rest of my life outside of, of that as well. And, you know, I do my best in that, but you know, if you're really passionate about what you do, you can, 
you know, put in those extra hours and get those, you know, hit those maybe at the time, maybe they seem unrealistic goals, but it's only unreal, unrealistic until you achieve them. So, yeah, I do that. all. That's the biggest I, thing. I do that all the time. I draw out this great block structure of, all right, from mm-hmm. nine to nine to 12, I'm going to do marketing things. And from this time we're going to treat yeah. patients and from, and then like, Somebody calls me like, "Hey, can you treat me at this time?" Yeah, sure. for sure, for sure. That's <laughs> that's one thing I'm changing my. I know I, I know that all too well. That's uh, that's one thing I'm doing over, especially in January. I'm doing uh, I'm I'm getting really big into time blocking. So um, kind of what you were saying, but also do that from day to day. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday will be kind of my more business days and content creating days, and then Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Um, it's going to be more of my training days. So I'll still train on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It'll only be like a half day or less. And then the rest of the day is for, you know, business development, product research and development, content creation, filming, editing, and stuff like that. And then Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday will be either just training sessions or program design. And that's it. Um, that way I can focus for an entire day um, on that. I actually picked that up from... Uh, Elon Musk. I was reading some stuff on him, and you know he's got Tesla and SpaceX, and he, he breaks it up. One day he does one, the next day he does the other, so he can mentally be in one state the entire day. Um, so I took little elements of that, and you know I'll be trying out in January. But I, I've done some sample days so far, and they work great. Yeah, that's interesting you say that. So I I initially tried to just do, and I would say all of this year, you know, 2020, like I blocked out. Yeah two hours for content creation or three hours for mm-hmm. marketing. And, um, I never, I never held to it. Right. Like, yeah, as soon as an opportunity came up to treat a patient or something like that, or I was trying to fit somebody in, I would, yeah. I would steal that. I would steal that block. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, I would say since, you know, kind of COVID went crazy, um, I've mm-hmm. devoted a whole day, right. Tuesday is nothing but business related tasks, marketing, content, creation, yeah. that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. it, you know, um, you know, I, it, it limits my ability. I can't see as many patients in a week, right. Because of, mm-hmm. right. There's just less hours to do that. Um, but at the same time, I, I think I can add value other ways as well. So it, the, mm-hmm. the, the whole day devotion has definitely been better for me. Correct. It, yeah. You're not even, you're not split. You're not getting tugged on the whole time. Yeah, hundred percent. And that's where I want to get to right now. I think the first thing I'm working on is is doing a little bit of training in the morning, but having it done in the morning, not have it sprout throughout the day, and then yeah. have yeah rest of the day. But eventually, I want to switch it over to complete. It's just kind of a transitional period. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I just I, you know the whole industry, especially right now, the whole industry um, from the training standpoint and a lot of strength conditioning um, is going online. And you know, I want to I want to that's something I've always wanted to pursue way before COVID. I bought a bunch of studying materials and I put a bunch of different frameworks together. Um, I developed like a software that I went to China with in 2017. So there was a lot of, lot of things that have been leading up to this. I think COVID just kind of came down and said, Hey, this is what you're going to have to do going forward. Um, so, you know, I'm going forward with that, you know, from the tape standpoint. So tape training systems that the performance for athletes that I have, I'm going to try to take a good amount of that online first. Once I nail that online first, I'm going to take my other company, Thrive Athletic, um, which is previously large group, kind of disbanded that over COVID. I'm going to rebrand that, re you know redo a lot of stuff with that, and then push the gen pop as well. 
But I think the big thing that I've always worked on was you kind of run into these issues, especially with fitness. It's like fitness isn't one size fits all. Um, and nobody has the time to write out a million different programs as well. So how could we do customized training at scale? And I know there's like a couple apps out there out that, that do it. Um, but I don't see many trainers doing that, you know, for their own business. They just don't have like the resources. So, you know, I've been working on different type of systems where we can input data and there's like 10 levels of individualization and then it kicks out a program automatically. So you, we can offer programs at a lower cost, but you still get full customization. Um, and I really think that's kind of uh, what the future of it is. Um, it might be like a step ahead of where the industry is at now because everyone's just trying to figure out how to set up online. Like, how do I even make this work to start with? Um, but how do you deliver at scale? Because at the end of the day, if you have five clients, you might be able to write it out. But if you have 50, are you able to write all of those out? And is that time efficient? Like how long does it take you to write out a program? Does it take you an hour? Does it take you a half hour? Does it take you 15, 20 minutes? How, how much should it take? So um, there's a lot of different questions on there um, going forward with the online. But I think for me, it's how can we do customized training at scale? And I think that's a huge differentiator. So instead of programming workouts into a software it's like how could i program my training philosophies like hard hard code them into a software where people can just throw their data in or we can do a simple assessment throw that in and then it spits out um, a customized program and then it adapts as we go as well so i really feel like you know that's that's the, the main project that i'm working on right now and um once that's done, you know, getting that to market, obviously marketing that and pushing that through the content. So, you know, a lot of different projects going on, but, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that one specifically. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. And, you know, obviously our, my physical therapy practice has been affected largely the same way. Um, we're all one-on-one, -on -one, so it, it helps a little bit. We're not doing any group stuff, but, yeah, but, you know, and I, I don't ever foresee hands-on manual therapy disappearing, right? There's value to being oh, no, hands-on no yeah. somebody and, and, and yeah. treat them. But um, like what you're saying, how can we supplement the, the at-home stuff for the client? Um, mm -hmm. The exercise, the movement prep, the prehab stuff, the, the self-mobilization skills. Yeah. Um, and it, it is. It's, you know, to write a program for somebody is very time-consuming. Um, mm -hmm. And there are certain things that trend together, but everybody's just, just that little bit different. So. How, yeah. how can you customize that in a way, but also, you know, make it something that you're not doing. I mean, otherwise yeah. you're, you're looking at an hour of programming per client. Um, Correct. And then you have to charge a premium and people are comparing that to uh, other prices. Yeah. Which, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. I, I get, um, so where's the middle of that, you know, like, is where's the middle of that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a really good question. I get, I get asked that a decent amount because I've been doing some online training unofficially. I'll officially launch it later, um, earlier next year. But the biggest thing with that is you don't want to have to recreate the wheel every time. And that's where it's like, Hey, it's an hour of training. So biggest thing I would recommend for trainers to do is templating. So you're going to make a template. So we have, let's say the majority of your clients probably fall within a couple different buckets. So for me, um, on the gen pop side, Typically, it's ladies that are looking to lose weight and the males that are looking to gain weight and, and lean muscle, right? So those, I would say those are the two main buckets. Um, from there, you're going to have the females. That are, let's go down that, that rabbit hole real quick. So females that are looking to lose weight, they're going to fall into one of three categories, intermediate, beginner, intermediate, or advanced. So what happens is I'll have a couple, what you want to do is have a couple different templates made out, you know, 
beginner female weight loss block one, block two, block three. Each block is a month long, right? So we have all those templates set out. So maybe the first exercise, we're going to just categorize it. We're going to go um, a knee dominant, maybe squat pattern. And then from there, we might go to, you know, a hip dominant pattern, right? So we have those set out in templates. Um, that's where you're going to start. We're going to do a lot of legwork up front, create all those templates. So that way, when you get a client, we're going to pull that template up. Now we're also going to pull up their needs analysis, if they have any injuries or anything else like that, and then make the minor tweaks. I think a lot of the common mistake a lot of trainers make is they get a new client and then they're starting that program design from scratch. You should already have a template. And then, you know, I know I understand some trainers are weird about that template, but if you think about it like this, if you have a template and you've made a template, and you've taken time to develop it, and it's the best template you could possibly make. Let's just say it's the best template you can make. Um, if you were to start from scratch and make another template, hence wouldn't that be the second best template you've ever made? You know what I mean? So now you're giving someone the second best product. So for instance, you just want to give them a template. We're going to have stock exercises, but then we're going to change them based off what they need. Because at the end of the day, there's not going to be a ton of changes unless they have something really crazy going on. But if there is a lot of changes, you don't have to start from scratch. We can make quick adjustments and literally you can have a customized program out. Um, at least I've gotten it down to 15 to 20 minutes when it used to literally take an hour. Um, so templating is huge. Um, take your time to, to build those out ahead of time. They do take a while um, and then build out your progressions. And then if it's beginner, intermediate or advanced, only thing that's really going to change is a little bit of the exercise selection and a little bit of the sets and reps. You know, the majority of that, you know, the structure, you're still going to keep the, the fundamental principles of your training um, the same. So I would say that that can be extremely powerful. And that's the difference between from a trainer standpoint, financially, you know, if it takes you an hour to write a workout and let's say you're charging $100, $150 um, for the workout, that's the difference between making $150 an hour and then having three clients, let's say you got it down to 20 minutes, now you're making $450 an hour. That's a huge, huge, huge difference. So yeah, yeah template. Mm -hmm. we'll, have to, we'll, have to, uh, we'll have to continue this discussion. I, I'm very interested yeah. in um, building a bucket for, as you put it, for uh, longevity. Like what are the demands? Yeah. What are the demands to continue to move well as we age? So. Um, mm -hmm. Body comp has to be in there just from a avoid chronic disease standpoint, right? Like for sure. We know that mm -hmm. that high high body weight leads to metabolic disease and, and that's yeah. a disaster. But you know, I don't I don't aesthetics, if you want that to be a super goal, then that, that becomes a super goal. But the main for goal sure. is hey, I want to be able to continue to travel and play with kids, grandkids, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, how do you build that bucket out um in, in that template? Yeah. Um, most of the people that I meet are, they have those other things. They have the injuries and they have history of this surgery or that surgery. And um, mm -hmm. so it has to be customizable to, to a degree. Um, yeah. Otherwise, I don't think it's going to be as successful. But yeah, sure. we'll have to, yeah, man, we'll have to combine our, combine yeah, our yeah, thoughts. Yeah, I think that, I think that could be really sweet. Mm -hmm. All right, man. Well, hey, this was good. Is uh, anything else you want to add? Anything that's uh, going on in your world that you want to share? Or, Ooh. I think we did a no, pretty good job we, hitting the big. Yeah, I think we covered points. we covered most of it. I mean, awesome, yeah, the man. biggest what? thing. 
Yeah, the biggest wrap up I think for this year is it it kind of just separated the you know the business owners from you know who's willing to adapt or who can adapt and who can't. So um, I think the biggest thing going forward is learning new ways to adapt and you know in order to keep the business going. I really feel like that's kind of like the theme for this year because so much has changed and something it kind of redirected at least in fitness it redirected the whole the whole compass or the whole direction that the industry is going so just be on top of where it's going and that would be my best advice for you know anyone either just getting in the industry or anyone that's been in the industry that's kind of done the same thing over time as things are changing you got to be willing to adapt and understand where everything's going so you can capitalize on it yeah i i, I still feel for like the the studio owners like the mm-hmm. the, uh, the boot camps the yogas the pilates yeah. like the whole model is how many people can you fit into a small square footage space exactly and, um mm-hmm your model just got crushed with zero yeah. control. I mean, you had zero control. Zero over control. It. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the biggest stopped. thing. And I think that's a, that's a, that's a lesson for me that, you know, I took, you know, earlier in my career is I was told to have multiple sources of income, although they're all training, they're all different types of training. I had one-on-one small group, large mm-hmm. group. I had a little bit of online going. I had a couple of nutrition clients where we just work on just general nutrition. Right. So when the COVID hit, only one part of that, those five things um, right. fell away. through, right? So I was able to adapt, double down on some of my other parts and, you know, make up for that lost income. And I understand that everyone's not in that position. Like if you have a brick and mortar and you're locked into um, something like that, you know, that, that, that's tough in itself. But finding new ways to deliver services online, you know, is definitely a viable solution. There's so many people out there that have done that. And you know, kept at least kept the business alive. I think the biggest thing with COVID is keep the business alive long enough for once people feel comfortable to come back in, then you can really start putting the gas on it again. But you got to come up with solutions um, in real yeah. time and, and quickly. Um, it's been you know, an interesting now. year. There's no doubt about that. Oh, yeah. It's been a crazy year. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I appreciate it. Where can All people right. find you? Where do people go to? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you can go to Instagram. It's at tape training, T A P E and then training. Um, same thing on Facebook. If you just go to Facebook and type in tape training systems, um, I'll come up not really active that much on Facebook as much anymore. Um, I would say Instagram's probably the, the best place to find me. Um, and then if you type in tra- tape training on YouTube, um, that's, that's another one as well. There's tons of different videos up there that I've had up there for years. So Constant Good resources content. all around. Constant content on Instagram. All kinds of people mm-hmm. doing things, people training and information and business stuff as well yeah. as as, mm-hmm. as clients. So um, mm-hmm. you do a heck of a job on Instagram. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right, man. We got to get in all touch right, again. Right, soon. Take it easy, man. It was great right, talking man. to you. Yes, sir. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. See you. Thank you for enjoying the Fit for Tomorrow podcast. Hope you're able to pick up a few things to help you live and move better. We'd really appreciate a like, share, review, or follow in order to help us continue to grow this podcast and help more people like you looking to feel and move better as active adults. Thanks again. We'll see you on the next episode.